Most of us are so disconnected from our bodies and our emotional experience that when we talk about boundaries, it gets very cerebral. It's very mental. It's like, oh, like it's, it takes a lot of thought for us to be like, this is my boundary. And this person crossed my boundary. It takes a lot for us to get there. Right. But your body actually perceives those signals so much sooner. It perceives it when it's happening, when your boundary is crossed. And if you can be in tune with your body, when it's happening, that might feel like a tightening in your stomach. Right. So these are these tiny little signals that are happening that actually tell us like what's okay for us and what's not okay for us. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm anxiety treatment expert and licensed mental health counselor, Justine Carino. I'm here to help you understand the root of your anxiety so you can create new habits that actually stick. Toxic behavior patterns, dysfunctional relationships, and childhood family trauma are all linked to the anxiety you experience. And that's exactly what we dive into on this podcast. Join me as I guide you through flipping the script on your negative thoughts, setting healthy boundaries in your relationships, and cultivating a self-care practice that's as unique as you are. From my couch to yours, let's create your path to peace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm your host, Justine Carino. If you haven't met me yet and you're tuning in for the first time, I am a psychotherapist with a private practice in New York specializing in the treatment of anxiety disorders. I also have an online course created for the people-pleasing, overachieving perfectionist to learn ways to manage anxiety. Okay, enough about me. Today, we are talking all about emotional literacy. My guest is fabulous. Her name is Kate Smith, and she's someone I really align with when it comes to teaching people how to break cycles of dysfunction from their own childhood so they don't pass this baggage onto their own children. Kate is a mother, mindful parenting educator, certified children's yoga teacher, and founder of the Conscious Mamas Movement which is an educational platform that empowers caregivers with mindful tools to raise the next generation of conscious humans. Phenomenal work she's doing, guys. Her work guides parents to do their inner healing work, build their emotional literacy skills, and show up as the present parents they want to be. She embodies these skills as a single mother to her almost two-year-old son, Jefferson. This conversation is so rich with information on how to build your emotional literacy skills and why this is beneficial in all of your relationships, including the relationship you have with yourself. So let's get into this episode so you can hear it all from Kate. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Justine. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So my name is Kate Smith. I am a single mama of an incredible two-year-old. I'm also the creator of the Conscious Mamas Movement. Um, I started the movement because I wanted my son to have the emotional literacy skills to thrive in this world. I wanted him to know how to connect with his body and connect with his needs and be able to state his boundaries and um, just sort of these fundamental basic skills that are so often passed over in our education and in our at-home environment. Yeah, it's never really talked about anywhere other than therapy or platforms like you have. And so I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. But I think for our listeners to like really understand, can you 
break down how you refer or define emotional literacy? Absolutely. So emotional literacy is our ability to tune into our emotions and express what's happening for us, right? So that's where the literacy piece comes in. Emotions are a, a very physical sensation. They, they come through our body. They um, are signals. They cause different, different um, sensations in our bodies. And so having the ability to tune in when they're happening and then being able to communicate when they're happening, right? Like I'm feeling angry right now, or I'm feeling sad right now, because that sets the stage for us to be able to get our needs met, like these really fundamental pieces of how we can function as humans in the world. Okay. And so we will use that to kind of lead this conversation for our listeners. And I think you know, we're both moms and we both try really hard to model this for our kids. And it's not easy, right? It's so difficult to do. I'm just thinking today, for example, I'll use a personal life situation. My um, two-year-old daughter has been really struggling with sleep and she just wants me all the time. And, you know, my parenting style with sleep is I've done the sleep training. I've done the cry it out, but then other times I'm gentle and I feel bad and I bring her in the bed. Like the first child, I was a lot more strict. But anyway, my daughter has been waking up so early. And so yesterday morning, my husband and I tried really hard. We're like, we're not going in. Let's just see her entertain herself. We will wait. This girl is persistent. She did an hour and a half in her crib awake, talking, yelling, screaming, rotating between all of it. I'm like, we're not going in until it's time to get her out of there. And then we felt good and we were excited. So then fast forward to this morning, it's Monday morning. And my husband and I get up really early before the kids to kind of do our workouts and get ready for work and have everything together before getting those two up. And I look on the baby monitor as I'm working out and I see my son go in my daughter's room at 6 a.m and get in her crib and wake her up and rage filled my (laughs) body i'm like what i was like he's he's done that like when he knows she's awake and he can do that he literally woke a sleeping two-year-old who i've been sleep training and working so hard so of course he doesn't understand how triggering this is for me and i lost my mind right i'm so shamed. I went in, I'm screaming. I pull him out of the crib. How dare you? You never wake a sleeping baby. And what are you doing in there? And blah. And I ranted and raved and my husband took over and I took my shower and I still didn't feel good after my shower. And I'm just steaming. And I just love how you said like our, our emotions are physical. Like physically, I felt my anger and rage and I didn't know how to express it. I modeled all the wrong behaviors. Then the rest of today, I've been shaming myself, like, I'm going to damage him. I've, you know, that wasn't the way to handle it. So I think I'm I'm loving this conversation. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from you. And yes, I'm a psychotherapist that tries to teach other people how to manage their emotions better, but I'm human and I lose it too. So can you tell me a little bit about what you think of this, what I shared today? I am just so grateful that you can have some grace for yourself because we have all been there. (laughs) We have all been there. I have definitely been there as a mom where I've had a reactionary moment and I have responded in a way that is not necessarily in alignment with the parent that I want to be. And then we repair and it's okay. And we just keep learning. Um, But there are so many really good pieces in that. There's so many really good moments that I want to just kind of like talk us through what potentially like 
the different approach could possibly be, right? Um, and so the first moment is like when the, the event actually happens, right? When we're like, I am feeling like this thing, the kid went in the crib, woke my baby up, I'm angry. Like that is the piece that we really need to get in the habit of, of like, can we name our emotions when they're happening? Because we know that on a neurological level, when we do that, we immediately trigger the brain and it says, okay, I can diffuse this response. It completely just sets us in a different tonality when we can acknowledge what we're feeling when we're feeling it. So that's the first thing, right? Like this thing is happening, the emotions coming up, we're noticing it in our bodies. What does it feel like, right? Like when we're angry, we might scrunch our shoulders up to our ears. We might make this, we might make a frowny face. Our stomach might get in knots. We might have a heart sensation. So it's being able to notice like, all right, this is what's happening in my body. This is, means I'm angry. I'm feeling angry. Okay. So like, that's where we go first. And, you know, from there, it kind of sets the stage entirely different for how we respond to the situation. Because like you said, you're like, I don't know how to process this emotion because who taught you, you know, like when was it in our education system or when was it in our parent culture that someone said like, this is how we deal with our anger. These are ways that we can process our anger. And that's what our work is now as parents is to, to give ourselves those skills so that we can give them to the next generations so that they have them. So much comes to modeling. And I talk about it so much with my clients about the way we manage our emotions is probably the way our parents did or a little combination of both of them or whoever had a big influence in our life growing up, grandparents. It's like a collection of that plus our own unique stuff and personality traits. So it's always helpful to kind of go back in time and remember like, who do I feel like right now? Am I embodying my mom, my dad? Like sometimes I say to myself like, oh, that's something my mom would say or my dad would say like for good and for bad, mom and dad. But we, we learn and observe so much. And so we as parents have this big responsibility to really think about how we're modeling emotion management to our kids. Um, and it's tough, man. It's really, really tough. You mentioned before that emotional literacy can help us get our needs met. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. And I do want to just, I absolutely can touch on that. And I absolutely want to touch back too on what you just said about like, yeah. that is the work of conscious parenting. It's like when we can reflect of like how these influences, our moms, our dads, our grandparents, how are those coming through us in this sort of lineage and then we get to decide as the parents that we are now, what proceeds, what we pass on and what gets cut off, what's no longer serving. So I just want to put that into that perspective. But when it comes to getting our needs met, emotional literacy is like that first piece, right? Because that lets us know where we're at. I'm angry. Okay. What do I need right now? I think oftentimes these emotions in my experience, and this is, you know, part of the reason why I'm so called to this work is that I can tend to bypass over intense emotions like sadness or anger and go immediately to the response of compassion or fixing it, right? Like I completely go over the emotion and then I'm into, well, what do I need to do right now to make myself feel better? Mm. Right. And like, that's an important step in the process, but a really important step in the process is getting that emotion felt and moved through because if an emotion gets stuck, if it's not moved through, meaning we bypass over it, we say, Oh, I'm not going to feel angry right now. I'm not going to feel sad right now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel grief right now, whatever it is. If we go over that emotion that emotion will get stuck 
and it gets stuck in our physical body. It gets stuck in our nervous system. And that's when later on, when, you know, the child does that one thing that normally is totally fine, but today it just is like, makes you explode, right? It's because you have all of that pent up energy, all that pent up emotion that is like finally saying like, I can't keep it in anymore. And that's when we react. That's when we yell. That's when we hit, that's when it, we, you know, whatever that reaction looks like. So in order to get to the point of getting our needs met, I just want to focus in and like, we do need to feel our emotions. And I know that that can be kind of abstract, but like the biggest and most simple tool that I could possibly say for feeling your emotions is to move with it. And what I mean by that is like actually physically move your body. Like if you are angry, like hit into the air. If you are sad, like give yourself a hug and sway. If you are feeling, you know, happy or excited, like let that be in your body, like shake it out. You know, shaking is a really great one too. So once you've moved with it, you've acknowledged it, you moved with it. Now we can get to the part of getting our needs met, right? Because then we can get back to a state of homeostasis. And that's when we can think. When we're in a space of emotion and reaction, like we know that our brain is not operating on the level of what do I need? It's really hard to get there, right? Like if you're in a moment of feeling really angry and someone's like, what do you need right now? It's so hard to answer that question. Who, who can answer that question in that moment? Who can actually tune into what they need in that moment? It's so hard. It's maybe even impossible. So I would add an extra step in then, right? So it's like the self-acknowledgement of what I'm feeling, the movement piece, and then it is the self-regulation piece. That is the piece where we come back to a state of calm. Those are like the yoga tools that we're constantly telling our children to breathe. And, you know, we're trying to come back to our breath because that is going to turn on our neurological process to even know what we need because we can come back to a state of baseline. Um, and to come back to a state of baseline, there's many tools and techniques. We have lots of that on our website, but essentially you just have to breathe. Like you have to take three deep breaths, You have to find a way to come back into the present moment. And from there, that is the point when you can ask yourself, or if someone else is asking you, what do I need right now? I'm going to let you talk on this. Cause I know I just said a whole lot of things, but there's a whole nother piece of like, how do we know what we need? Yes. And I definitely, I want to go there. So as you're describing these steps, you know, I'm like playing that out in my head and I feel like people listening and myself, and you can probably relate is when we feel like that shame later due to our reaction in conflict, whether it's with a friend or a family member or own children, we often say like, oh, I wish I could go back in time and rewind and redo that and react in a different way. And I often find that I wish I reacted in a way that's more in alignment with what my values are, right? And so I feel like buying yourself time to acknowledge the feeling like you're saying, sit with it, move with it, let the emotion move through your body in whatever way will help the person really slow down that reaction that starts to take over, right? And it puts you back in control so you can react from a place of your value set and your value system. Am I right by that? 100%. I feel like this takes such work, but it's possible for people to start to put these steps into action. And I'm also curious for you, Kate, how you were drawn to this type of work. Well, I think that that's a great question. And it was because as a child, I did not feel empowered or safe to have my own emotions. I grew up with two alcoholic parents. 
and was sort of like always managing other people's emotions and needs. Um, and then by the time that I became an adult, it was really a journey of realizing that I didn't know healthy ways to express my emotions. I didn't know healthy ways to get my needs met. Um, and those were really things that I wanted for myself. And then as you know, when we have kids, it completely ramps up and you start to really think about like, what are the things that I want to give this child? And right now we are all raising kids in a very chaotic world, a lot of uncertainty, um, and really it is a very hard thing to, to come to terms with, but that we cannot protect our children from so much of this world. And so what I wanted to do for my son is I wanted to empower him. I wanted to empower him with skills so that he could get his needs met so that he could communicate his emotions. These are just these really powerful tools. And so that's, that's really the journey of where the work started. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, I've shared on this podcast that I'm also an adult child of an alcoholic. My dad um, struggled with alcoholism throughout his whole life. And so often I saw an alcoholic without knowing he was an alcoholic. It's something that my parents really tried to work on hiding. Um, but I also at the same time, it would have put some pieces together for me to understand, oh, this is why he reacts this way. This is what I'm seeing and observing. So, you know, they tried to protect me and my brother from really knowing what was going on behind the scenes. So I witnessed a lot of alcoholic behaviors without knowing it was alcoholism. But you're right. Often children of alcoholics try to make sure everything is going okay around them in their environment because the environment's so unpredictable. So we're really good at being um, chameleons and adapting and making sure everyone's okay, therefore sacrificing our own needs. Absolutely. And then that carries over into our adult relationships. And I think, you know, alcoholism or addiction or mental illness, all of these things are an, are an important part of the conversation when we're talking about what we witnessed as children, because that really, you know, what we witness of how our parents process emotions, we are inputting as children. That's what we come to believe as normal. Right. And so if you have a parent that like when they feel upset, they yell at you or they hit you or they, you know, degrade you or they ignore you, you carry that into your adult relationships as the normal. Right. And I did that as well. You know, so my, you know, preliminary romantic relationships were all so abusive in so many ways because I just thought that that was what was normal. And, you know, it breaks my heart for myself, but it also like, it makes me so determined to not let that be the story for my child, you know, which is why I want, you know, there are times when I've absolutely yelled. It has absolutely happened. Oh, no matter how, you know, conscious and calm and how much yoga I practice, it's going to happen. And there's the, you know, a whole repair process, you know, in conversing with him. But what I want to make sure is that he doesn't think that that's the normal, that he doesn't think that that's okay. Because I don't really want anyone yelling at him in his life. Like, I don't want him to have a romantic partner that he thinks it's okay for them to, to yell at him. You know, I think that there's, there's better ways to communicate. And like I said, of course, we're all human, but we're really setting the stage for what are, what is normal for our kids. You're so right. So would you say that's part of the repair process is to talk to your kid and kind of say like how I reacted wasn't the right choice or wasn't the right way to handle this emotion. And I'm sorry for this part. 
Um, cause that's kind of what I'm trying to do. And, you know, I try to encourage, I do some couples therapy and encourage couples to do that, but I'm thinking parent child too. It's so important to respect them and kind of explain to them, like I was overwhelmed by emotion and I said the wrong things and I'm sorry for that. Is that how you would see the repair process going? Absolutely. Yeah. It would be like, once you're all calm, like you're in a different state, obviously, like you're no longer reacting from that anger. It is having an eye to eye conversation with them and saying like, I was feeling really upset when I yelled at you and it's really not okay for me or anyone else to yell at you. And I'm human. And this was a reaction that I had. I was feeling a lot of anger in my body and I'm really going to work on, on processing it in a different way. And then try together, right? Like that's a great opportunity too, to be like, next time I'm feeling this way, like I'm going to scream into this pillow. Do you want to try and do it with me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like giving them that skill set. And if you're interested, like they're on how anger or rage practices, I have a free workshop. That's only 10 minutes on my website that you can look at and get all these different yoga based practices for just feeling your anger, feeling your rage, like showing them what that looks like, or you know, here's another one. Like next time I'm going to put on this song and I'm just going to move my body and you're welcome to join me. So it's really giving them those skills. I love those examples. And I love how you bring in using the skill with them, scream into a pillow, pace around the room, whatever it is to get that anger out because it always passes. Right. And I try to explain this to the clients I work with. Um, a lot of them have self-harm behaviors and we talk a lot about urges and your urge to harm yourself feels so overwhelming. And it's about emotion regulation, distress tolerance, tolerating this uncomfortable feeling, this urge to do whatever it is. Same with like I'm doing exposure therapy with someone with OCD. They have this compulsion to do something. And we're doing exposure therapy to build tolerance for that emotion, not give in to that emotion because it's always passes. We get to the other side, right? We always settle and our emotions come and go in waves and they're heavy and they're crashing and we want to just react to it. And we react to them if we're angry with the screaming and yelling, if we're anxious trying to avoid, if we want to engage in self-harm, we do the self-harm, right? And we give in because we think that will get the feeling away, but then we're followed by the guilt and the shame later. And then we set a new spiral. So it's so, um, difficult to ride the wave of the emotion, but you always get there. Like even this morning, like, okay, eventually calm down. And when I calmed down, I felt awful. And I'm like, my reaction was so unreasonable and overreactive and it's not a big deal, but I just was overcome with some rage. So I think it's so important to buy that time of how you can pass through the emotion. But like you said, model it to your kid. Then I, sh- I could have done this at that time to ride that emotional wave. I love how you're bringing in, there's a really important piece and it reminds me a lot of what some of the basic wisdom is of yoga, which is to create space between the reaction time, right? It's like, it creates a space in our body where we can have that moment of pause, right? So like, if someone really wants to hurt themselves, it's like having that moment of acknowledging that this is what I want to do. I'm having this really intense urge. And like, can I take a breath? Like, can I take a moment. Like, can I take a pause? It doesn't mean that you're not going to do the action. Maybe you still end up doing the action, but incrementally, if you can space out that pause and give your nervous system time to reset, like that, that really is the work right there. Right. Or like when you're feeling really angry with your kid and you're like, 
I'm feeling really angry right now. Like, can I take a step back from this emotion rather than like being fully immersed and riding the waves and letting it carry me? Can I notice that I am actually the person having the emotion? I am not the emotion. Right. right? So that's like that step, that degree of separation that changes us and allows us to live a more mindful and conscious existence. You are so right. You're so right. It, it's it's so difficult. And I really wish we were all taught this much earlier. Like I didn't care about this stuff until I was more of a young adult, but we need to learn these things when we are young. And to go back to what you're saying, like we're constantly inputting information that we're observing. I was recently listening to a podcast. I forget what it was. I wish I could remember. The speaker being interviewed was talking about how the first seven years of our lives are so crucial because we're just constantly observing. And this is where we're just downloading, downloading, downloading all this information around us. And so much about emotions is downloaded into our system at that time and how we develop our emotion regulation skills, our emotional literacy, our coping mechanisms. It's often a direct result of what we're observing the people around us do but also what was going on in their lives at the time will react because let's say mom or dad was going through a traumatic event while we were zero to seven. Maybe their parent died. Maybe they had a divorce. Maybe they had blah, 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 right? So we're also observing their reactions to big life events and how they process them. So we're constantly learning and I just wish we were taught this earlier. I completely understand, which is why that's like my life mission. This is what you're doing. That's why I do this work. And eventually I hope to take it on an even bigger platform. So it's not just like people coming to my websites and buying courses or being a member that it's like, I would love a television show. That is what I would love to do. I would love to be like the future Mr. Rogers, but model a way that we can consciously communicate with our kids so that they know what it feels like to be loved and respected and that their emotions and experience is valued. So, I love that. Let's manifest that show for you. Let's bring it. <laughs> Let's coming. bring it. It's coming. So tell me, what would get in the way of people developing emotional literacy? Emotions never being talked about. That's definitely one. If you grew up in a household where you never really heard the words like angry, or sad, disappointed, grieving. If those weren't words that were actually talked about, you were just sort of witnessing people going through the mishmash of their own experience, that would definitely hinder one from developing emotional literacy skills. If you grew up in a household where the only way to cope with difficult things was to use a substance or to disengage. So like if your parent, if you noticed that they were, you know, feeling upset, if you had any level of awareness around that and they chose to drink, if they chose to, you know, just watch TV or completely numb out or not talk about it. If you grew up in a household where things were not talked about, that would also be a situation where your emotional literacy development would definitely be hindered. And it doesn't mean that you can't develop them now. You're developing them now by having this and listening to this conversation. Um, They can be learned right? It's just much easier to learn, like you said, in that one through seven, the zero through seven phase. Um, Like my child is two and he can say, I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I don't, I know, you know, I think probably like 70% of the adults I know probably couldn't tell me that. (laughs) So it's really easy actually to teach kids these skills. 
it's really, really easy. And that's, you know, part of once again, what we do. It's you're right. It's simple. And so the big gift we can give our children is labeling our emotions as they're coming up or helping them label, right? If we're observing their behaviors and they're just acting on impulse, maybe we say, are you feeling mad? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling worried? Help them learn how to label. Absolutely. And I think the key piece with that, especially with younger children is to model and reflect their body language, right? So it's like, I love the curiosity piece. Like, are you feeling this way? But a great thing to pair that with is I'm noticing that your shoulders are really tense. I'm noticing that your fists are all clenched. I'm noticing that you're making a frown on your face. Are you angry? Because what happens is that then they are able to identify when they're having these body signals that that's the emotion that goes with it. So that's a really important piece of teaching emotional literacy to small children. I love that. Sometimes, and I I wonder if other people do this too, like children are like adults. (laughs) So like I'm thinking of my therapy sessions, right? And I do a lot of family therapy with like young adults and their parents or teenagers and adults. And I'm constantly observing the body language and bringing that to the conversation. Dad, you look frustrated. Your arms are crossed. You rolled your eyes when so-and-so said this, right? So I'm constantly bringing their body language. I'm like, duh, why not do what the child do? They're just like adults. They have body language that we can call attention to to help them process. That's such a good tangible takeaway. So thank you. Thank you for that. Hey, did you know that there are five different types of people pleasers? Throughout my over 10 years of experience as a licensed mental health counselor, I have noticed five different types of people pleasing archetypes based on how you were raised, your life experiences, your early childhood relationships, and trauma. I've created a very simple two minute quiz to help you discover which type of people pleaser you are, and you can get custom feedback within a minute so you can start implementing real changes in your relationships and in your life to reduce your anxiety and people-pleasing tendencies today. Go check it out. You can find the link in my show notes. Now let's get back to the show. How do you think emotional literacy and getting better at it, besides the parent-child relationship, how can it improve other relationships in our life, like romantic relationships or friendships or even relationships in coworker colleague settings. Emotional literacy improves all relationships exponentially because it gives us the opportunity to show up authentically in our own experience. And it allows us to be able to get our needs met, which is huge for having relationships that feel fulfilling. If you're feeling sad and you know, you're feeling sad, you can then develop the skill set of like, this is what I need when I feel sad you know, from a loved one, from someone to share intimacy with, you know, whether that be a friend or whatever, like I'm feeling sad right now. I could really use a hug. That would make me feel loved. That would make me feel supported. What an entirely different relationship dynamic than when you don't know what you're experiencing, your partner doesn't know what you're experiencing, and you're both trying to guess. That is so much harder to get that sensation of like feeling truly seen, met, and loved that we all crave, that all humans want. So it really is this foundational piece for all relationship dynamics. That makes a lot of sense. I can imagine just this simple piece, just this topic of 
emotional literacy in your steps of identifying, moving through it, even talking about repair, right? Let's talk about couple conflict repair. You can do the same thing with your partner as you would with a child and say, like, I was angry and I said these things out of anger. And next time I will do this. This is how I want to handle it later. This is how you can help me handle this. You know, there's so much communication around our feelings that we just skip over and go straight to like acting and doing, and it usually escalates a conflict. I just was thinking about, absolutely. I was just thinking about how soothing that is to hear from a partner. Like if you can imagine yourself right at this moment, if you had a conflict and then your partner came back to you, like, and like looked you in the eyes, was like, I'm sorry that I handled this this way. This is what I was feeling. And this is what I'm going to do next time. How good does that, does your nervous system just go, because it's actionable. It's not, it's like, I'm taking accountability and this is what I can do next time. And also to bring your partner or whoever in into it of like, this is something that you could do to help me in these moments. Like it becomes a conscious collaborative relationship. I love that. I love that. And now I'm thinking, how do you think emotional literacy can help with boundary setting? Because now we're talking about identifying our needs. And I think to get our needs met, we then have to set some boundaries. How could that help? I think they're completely in tandem, right? Like when we know what's going on in our body, we also know when it doesn't feel good in our body, right? Like that's a huge thing when it's, and that's when a boundary is crossed, right? We can feel that on a a physical level. I think most of the time, most of us are so disconnected from our bodies and our emotional experience that when we talk about boundaries, it gets very cerebral. It's very mental. It's like, oh, like it's, it takes a lot of thought for us to be like, this is my boundary. And this person crossed my boundary. It takes a lot for us to get there right? But your body actually perceives those signals so much sooner. It perceives it when it's happening, when your boundary is crossed. And if you can be in tune with your body, when it's happening, that might feel like a tightening in your stomach, right? It might feel like, you know, your body kind of clenches up or like has a little bit of a jolt, right? So these are these tiny little signals that are happening that actually tell us like what's okay for us and what's not okay for us. And that's another piece that we can teach children very early on is to know when something feels okay, to know when something feels safe, to know when something feels right, and to know when something does not feel right, when something doesn't sit right, to trust that level of intuition, because that is our navigation system for our boundaries. And you and I had a really great conversation about boundaries several months ago on a a different podcast. And what I just want to say about boundaries is I think that we think about them so concrete And I like to think of them more as an ongoing agreement. There's fluidity in a boundary because our situation is constantly changing. What feels okay for us right now may not feel okay for us later, right? Like it reminds me, like I think about it in sexual context with like your your partner, right? Like there may be times when like you really like to get your hair pulled and then there are other times when you don't like it, right? And so like it's an agreement that you have to be able to communicate what's feeling okay for you in the moment. I love that. So they're forever changing and we need a lot of communication around that, but also openness to receive the boundaries from our partners too. And we often say, well, you didn't like that or you did like that before and now you don't. Well, we have to remind ourselves people are changing and their needs are forever changing. So I love, I love that frame and that outlook that you're laying out for us here. You know, we've been talking a lot about how emotional literacy helps relationships, right? Relationship with our partner, relationship with our kids. How do you see it improving the relationships we have with ourselves? I think it's fundamental. I think that 
there is a level of deep trust and inner sovereignty that gets created when we can honor our emotions and we can honor our needs and we honor our own boundaries. So we're not constantly sacrificing those things for the sake of others, which is so common and is like the common culture of martyrdom and motherhood. Um, many of us who grew up in dysfunctional households with alcoholics, that's just key. Like we're constantly sacrificing ourselves and our needs to make everyone else okay. And it's very hard to live that way. When you live that way, there is this sort of like inner segmentation, this inner separation, and we can just feel a little disoriented. Like we're constantly searching for these pieces to make us feel better rather than coming from this space of like true centeredness and this trust that like with ourselves, that we will take care of our needs, that we will honor our bodies, that we will not sacrifice our needs and our safety for the wants and desires of others. And that is an incredibly powerful place to live from. That is so, so well said, so well said. And, you know, part of this, and I want to go back a little bit, you have talked about our bodies, right? And I think we forget that our bodies and our feelings are so closely related. We feel our feelings in our bodies. They take up physical space and our, our feelings were put there for a reason, right? Our feelings are information. So we had to have a body reaction to our feelings to help us make decisions, right? If we are threatened, you're in danger, you need to do something to protect yourself, right? I think we forget that. We often walk around so busy, so in our heads, so disconnected from our bodies that just the beginning for some people is to ignore their own body. Sorry, did I say ignore? <laughs> to pay attention to their own body so they're not ignoring how the feeling feels. That simple step is like so difficult for some people. Some people can't even tell you where in their body they feel anger, sadness, and that would probably be the start. What do you think? I completely agree that that level of body awareness is a, a fundamental starting place. And I just want to have a lot of compassion because of the way that our world works and our misunderstanding or lack of information around how we process trauma. I think that we foster this constant moving, this constant busyness, like that is what's valued is to just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. And we know, like Justine, you and I know that when you slow down, when you stop, that's when you feel your feelings. And that can feel overwhelming, especially if you do not know how to feel your feelings. Also, right? Like that also is the place where things come up that we start to process. When we are still, that's when we can integrate on an energetic level and on a nervous system level. It's powerful and it's hard, especially if you're not used to navigating the world that way, because it can feel like if I stop now, like then I'm just going to open the floodgates for all of these things that I haven't let myself feel. You are so right. And I talk about this a lot with my clients. You know, some say like, I'm afraid to be alone. I can't have too much downtime. And I'm like, why, why, why? Because then I'll think, okay, then what happens when you're thinking? Then I'm feeling a certain way. And then I push them further. Okay. How badly could you feel? Let's imagine that. Let's expose you to that now. Well, I might cry for an hour. Okay. Can you tolerate crying alone for an hour? What would that be like? How could you take care of yourself after? How long will that last? So we really have to unpack like 
there's a fear of our emotions sometimes. We're afraid, like you're saying, once we feel them, they won't stop. And we open these floodgates that we can't manage. So then we're dealing with it by avoiding them, which actually makes the feeling stronger, more powerful, worse, to go back to what you said, like then we have this explosion. So I think it's the, the slowing down, the learning how our body feels when we feel a certain way, taking these steps you're sharing will do a beautiful thing for not your relationships, but for loving yourself and your relationship with yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say that if you're having a response to us having this conversation, like maybe you're like, I don't want to listen to the rest of this, or like you can tell that this might be resonating for you when you're listening to it. Honestly, I feel like the best step is to communicate with a practitioner. Like, please get help please get a resource because, you know, going home tonight and being, well, I'm going to feel all my feelings and not having the self-care strategies to care for yourself while that's happening. And afterwards can be really re-triggering and can be really traumatizing. So I definitely recommend like find someone that you trust, preferably with a professional background that knows how to facilitate this experience for you. So you can start to break that open and it's hard at first, but I will tell you that like, once you get past that initial, like the fear of feeling life is so much better. I can't eat. Life is so much better. If you feel so much more love, you can feel so much more joy because just as you have access to those elements of sadness or fear or grief, whatever it is in tandem, you get to feel just like the, the opposite end of all of the joy and the expansive love that is part of being human. You are so right. So it's not about, it's not just about feeling these distressful feelings. It's about feeling the good ones too, because those are fleeting also like talk about coming and going. Why not feel happiness a little bit longer or joy or excitement? Why not celebrate ourselves a little bit longer? You know, I work with a lot of overachievers and perfectionists. It's like, okay, goal hit on to the next. They don't even celebrate those fun feelings of the accomplishment. And I'm like, just sit with it a little bit longer because this is a fleeting feeling too. You're so right. Yeah. I came across that exact same topic a couple months ago. And there's actually like a whole chapter of resources that we have on like how to celebrate, how to pause how to savor a moment, right? Because we just completed something that we worked hard for. And don't we want our kids to do that? Like when they do something amazing, like how can we show up presently in that moment in that space of celebration? Like that's a skill set that we also don't have. (laughs) It's so true. We need to do that. Well, this has been so amazing. I feel like you have so many takeaways for our listeners and for myself and anyone out there that's like, hmm, what is this about? I think you gave such tangible advice on how to start practicing this, practicing this and why we need to. Um, how can people find you? Where are you in this world? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Conscious Mamas Movement. That's also the name of our website. On our website, you can join our membership and get access to all of our emotional literacy yoga resources. Um, and our newsletter also sends you a breakdown of these skills every week, right? So there's always ways to engage, whether that be through the membership, through buying a course or just following us on Instagram. I love that. I will make sure I link that in the show notes to this episode. So listeners can head there and check it all out. So thank you so much, Kate, for joining me. I love this conversation. I know we will continue to collaborate with each other. Thank you so much, Justine. 
Kate is amazing at what she does. And as she's talking in this episode, I'm like, wow, I wish she could just live in my house and like jump out of the corner and kind of coach me on how to do this better. I know we're all a work in progress, but she is just so calm and confident and self-aware. I, I need her like living in my house, jumping out of the corners, coaching me as I need her. So if you enjoyed this episode, you may also want to listen to episode number 27 titled Dysfunctional but Comfortable Relationship Patterns. And this is a solo episode where I talk more about the impact our own families have over the types of relationships we engage in as adults and how we learn to tolerate and regulate our emotions, kind of like what Kate and I went into in today's episode. All right. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate or review this podcast so I can get this content out into the world and support more people on their mental health journeys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. For complimentary anxiety management tools, you can head over to my website, carinocounseling.com. Thank you so much for listening and go enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.